Learning in general gives you freedom. I think it provides freedom, right? Because then, then you get to, to set your own path because of that. Because now you, you have more knowledge to know where to go or where not to go. Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm going to send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. I am here today with Marcelo Lewin, who considers himself a serial, quote unquote, accidental entrepreneur. You've been a developer, a technical architect, a project manager, a podcaster, a blogger, a videographer, a designer, a VP and director at many companies, including NBC, Toyota, Walt Disney Imagineering and JF Shea Company Incorporated. And for some reason, of which we'll probably talk a lot more about at 56 years old, you've decided time to switch careers again and go from the tech industry to pursue your lifelong dream of filmmaking. And lastly, just like me, and I think this is what we're going to dive a lot more uh, deeply into, you are very passionate about the intersection of technology, creativity, and productivity, especially nowadays with artificial intelligence. That was a mouthful. I am already exhausted <laughs> and we haven't even started, but thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I'm happy to be here. I'm a big fan of yours and what you're doing, uh, especially like with fitness and and this sitting around all the time. It's just amazing. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm uh, fascinated by all the things that you and I are going to chat about. This conversation actually began uh, with uh, my team and with my producer, Debbie, thinking, who are the people that we want to talk to that can help us better understand how to learn artificial intelligence, specifically for filmmakers? You clearly are now at the epicenter of that, which, as we're going to talk more about, is no accident whatsoever. However, the deeper we got into this, the more we realized AI is not the conversation here. The conversation is understanding the process of career invention, of which you are, you've basically built a career out of reinventing your career. 
So eventually, I think we're going to get to the point of helping my audience navigate the abyss of learning artificial intelligence and how to prioritize either their first or their next steps. But I'm now going to speak for everybody's imposter syndrome and ask the following question. Who do you think you are at 56 years old to just start over your career as a filmmaker? Wait a minute. You sound like my wife now. She said the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so speaking for everybody's imposter syndrome and your wife. Yeah, there you go. Um, it's well, it's something I've always wanted to do. You know, I'm um I've I've come to the I came to the US in around 1976 from South America, so we're immigrants. Uh and pretty pretty dirt poor back then. And one of the things I always loved movies and wanted to get into the movies, but you know, being recent immigrants, you know, not having the money. Of course, the technology back then, right? Nobody had an iPhone back then, so you could just go shoot a movie. You really had to pay a lot of money for that stuff. So there, there went that idea, right? And then, uh, which I, you know, I'm grateful for because I, I, I ended up in a career in in the tech industry, and which was very fruitful for 30 plus years. So no complaints here whatsoever. But it got to a point where, you know, turned 56, right? Had my midlife crisis. Well, actually my first midlife crisis was building a home theater out of the living room behind me. That was the first <laughs> midlife crisis at 50. That was a true one. Um, and then uh, this year, you know, there were some people that had passed away and it kind of made me realize how short life is, right? And and, and I'm also a, um, I, I don't like a what if scenario. I, I don't... I, I need to know, and I don't care if I fail. You know what I mean? It just, I need to know that I tried. And that's what I did is I said, you know, I literally had the conversation with my wife and she's used to it now. At the beginning, 30 years ago, where, because I kept switching stuff. She was like, what's wrong? Why are you doing this? But now she knows that, you know, I'll make it work somehow. I mean, you know, I'll just keep trying. Um, but I, I just said, you know, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? Right. And Figure 56, I'm semi-young still, quote unquote, in quotes, and uh, give it a shot. And I always figured, well, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, go back to tech. You know, there's so much more you can do with everything I'm learning anyway, which is in corporate video, right? If I can't make scripted. Um, So yeah, it was more of a, you know, realizing life is short and I want to check it off my list. Even if I don't make it, I want to check it off my list and say, I tried. Plus, it's also kind of showing my kids, even though they're older now, right? They're in their 20s. It's still showing that, you know, you're never too old to to try new things anyway. Yeah, I love it. Uh, there's at least 10 different mindsets already in there that we can unpack. The first one that I want to go into that I think is so interesting is that if you do the math, midlife crisis at 56 means that in your mind, you're living life until at least 112, right? Well, Most yeah. people by their <laughs> mid-50s, they're thinking, well, I mean, this is it, getting ready for the golden years. I guess I'm going to have to give up on all the things I thought I was going to do. And if I didn't have the video and I were just talking to a guy via audio and I take the age out of it, you, you're coming at this with a mindset of like you're in your mid-20s. Like, let's just go after this. Let's try this. Let's give it all we got. And if we fail, who cares, right? There's, there's a lot of mindset and psychology behind that. Well, it, so, cause it's interesting. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of like taking the chance mentality, but it's also being planning for it. So let me explain what I mean by that, because I, I don't, I don't, uh, suggest that people should say, screw it. I'm going to quit my job or do whatever you want to do without, without careful planning. Right. So everything, all the crazy quote unquote changes I've done switching have, have always been 
planned out. And what I mean by that, even though it looks chaotic, like I would never do that, right? Because there's certain things I wouldn't do. But uh, quitting a job or, or moving, switching careers, it, it doesn't like scare me for some reason. There are many other things that scare me. So I don't want to come out as like heights scare me. Like I cannot do heights, right? That scared the heck out of me. Um, but there's careful planning, meaning like, for, for example, for me to make this, this switch, I have to be, I have to plan financially. Like if this happens, right? Well, I'm starting from scratch, basically, right? I'm starting at, like I did 30 years ago when I got into the tech industry. So, so even though it happened in June of this year where I decided to do that switch, the thought has been happening for maybe a couple of years and slowly, maybe um, without really realizing, I started planning for it by maybe saving some money, you know, aligning all the ducks in a row, right? And, and getting things to to that point. So um, I don't know if that answered your question, to be honest with you. I get off track I, I, It's definitely a good place to start. And there's uh, there's one area, there's many areas, but there's one area I specifically want to dig deeper into. Actually, now that I think about it too, now that I think about it 12. See, you and I, we have so many things in common already. <laughs> um, but going back to your introduction, and this is something you put in your bio and on your website, you have in quotes, accidental entrepreneur. If you stumble from one career into building a business for whatever reason, sure, you're an accidental entrepreneur. With the amount of times that you have started a company, learned a technology, built a company, had that company acquired and done the next one, in my mind, there's no way this is an accident at this point. But what I want to do is I want to rewind back to when it maybe would have been. Because I would presume, and I, you can go a little bit deeper into this, and we're not going to go through beat by beat through all the transitions, but if we rewind to the part that I'm the most fascinated with, it's that you were an accountant. And my assumption is that that was well, at a period I was in your in accounting. I was not in accounting, or but in, I was in, in accounting. accounting. Yeah. Right. So you were in accounting. And my assumption would be, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that back in those days, there was a lot of, you just got to pick one thing and stick to it. Right. And you've probably heard that over and over. Why can't you just stay with one thing? So at what point do you feel you were an accidental entrepreneur? And then when was it no longer an accident? It's funny you said that because, yeah, back then was like switching careers. This is in the early 90s, right? Switching careers that quick, that much until the dot com. And then basically everything went crazy and everybody's, you know, if you were in a career for more than or in a job for more than a year, then quote unquote, there was something wrong with you, right? Yeah, why aren't you in a... And I went through that, right? Switch constantly, like a year and a half, boom, the next one and the next one. But uh, what was your original question? <laughs> Just talking about how it was that you were able to to overcome this idea oh, that you need to pick yeah. one thing, you're in accounting and you became yeah. an accidental entrepreneur until it was no longer an accident. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, well, the lucky thing, I guess, is I had parents that really didn't care what I did. <laughs> so in a good way, that was, I just picked whatever I wanted to do, right? And accounting, I thought, well, accounting would be something that, you know, pays the bills. And, you know, it's I was secure. that excited. I was that it's excited about it, right? right? It pays the bills. That was my excitement about it. Um, and then I started taking classes. I I, I started working at, um, at Toyota in accounting, uh, Toyota Corp in accounting and started taking classes uh, at Cal Poly. And literally after the first semester, I said, there is no, uh, you know, we can bleep it, but there's no way that I'm going to be doing this for a living. There's just no way. Nothing against accountants. Please, I love accountants, especially during tax time. I need the accountants. <laughs> but personally, it, it it wasn't for me, right? Um, I You never heard of an accountant uh, uh, doing accounting for fun, 
like, let's say developers or filmmakers, right? They do that stuff for fun anyway, right? And then they still do it for a living, right? Accountants do, go home and they don't love, oh, let me do this, you know, a spreadsheet for fun. And maybe some do. Um, so yeah, I just, uh, and the internet was also, it was, it, the, 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 the interesting part was that the internet was taken off too. So the internet came online, right? And I was big time into being a, a child of the 80s, gone through when computers came out, like the Commodore VIC-20, the Apple II, the, or the Apple, all of those. I was heavily into that. So I already started loving um, uh, technology at an early age, right? Um, I had a first computer at 12, 13 years old, and I was programming basic with it. So I was already into that stuff. Uh, when the internet came on, I literally just got excited about it. I and I'm a I'm a person that I see um I I tend to be an early adopter and I tend to, to not knowing not not because I I'm a know it all at all it's not none of that but I tend to look at a technology and see the possibilities of where it could go right and so for me I I don't see um I don't see the negatives of it like what's happening today with AI right I talk to so many people and they're like oh yeah but they're gonna kill us all and and I don't ever see any of that I'm not saying it's not gonna happen I just don't see it I see only the positives in general and that just allows me to get into whatever I want to get right maybe it's a naive way of looking at things but I I looked at the internet and really got into it and I started staying up literally to two in the morning just learning everything I could uh, about it and, and got into development and what happened was at Toyota in accounting they had we had green screens back then that we were working on a, on a mainframe with a green screen right but we could create a bulletin board so I asked the admin at Toyota hey can you create a bulletin board about the internet, and I just want to write there. So what happened is, and nobody knew the internet. What what happened is, I started writing little uh, posts on on this bulletin board. That's what they called it back then. And then people within Toyota started reading that. And then I started getting email from people within Toyota about the internet. And then one thing led to another, and I had a huge following inside of Toyota. One of the, the departments heard about that. Well, they actually were following that too. I befriended them because I wanted to move into that. IT side because I wanted to work on the internet. And uh, basically, I ended up moving. Literally, I got a job with them saying, hey, we need to do internet. You know everything about the internet. We know nothing. Do you want to come over? Um, even before he finished the sentence, I'm saying, I was, yeah, I'll be there. You know, And that's literally how it happened. So um, I wasn't afraid of the internet. To me, it was something completely new. Right. I remember being extremely excited. In fact, I remember being on the freeway with my wife and there was a billboard and the billboard had a .com URL. And I pointed, and the reason I remember this, because you didn't see that back then, right? And I remember pointing to my wife and I'm like, look at that, the internet, see, look, they're already advertising this stuff. And of course my wife's like, so what? But, you know, <laughs> but I was all excited about it, right? Kind of like I am with AI and all this, and not just AI, but everything that I've, I've, I've been through. So to me, technology always excites me. It always gets me going and seeing the possibilities of it. And um, yeah, I just do it and take a chance, basically, you know. But I take it's a careful chance because it wasn't like I was in accounting and then overnight I was in IT doing internet. There were many months of me writing posts, right? Setting setting some sort of uh, base there that people now knew me, right? Which is what I'm trying to do now with filmmaking as well. 
Yeah, so my guess is that we could take that entire story, remove the actual names of Toyota and or the internet or all of these specific pieces of information. We could fast forward to the last six months to a year, change internet to AI and change company names. My guess is that story is almost exactly the same, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so to, to me, one of the really interesting things about this, and there are now... Essentially, what I'm always trying to do is I'm looking for patterns, behavior patterns to understand how people are able to achieve the things that they are. And it's immediately apparent to me that there's at least a minimum of two things to already dig into and many more. But number one, it's the mindset of I'm an early adopter and I'm not afraid to play with something while it's still new and unknown. And number two, I'm just not afraid to try something new despite what other people may think. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm well. Definitely, I'm an early adapter. In fact, whenever I see little updates on my phone, the little circle that you need to update, I got to update. I can't see that. I have to have the latest, right? I just updated to the latest of uh, of of macOS. Um, so I'm definitely an early adapter. And for me, that to me, it excites me. I mean, to me, trying out things, even if they break, it's it's just super exciting. I love that. That, in fact, I'm going through a class on Avid, right? And we're getting into the technical tidbits of Avid. And it's funny because the teacher said, okay, guys, this is the boring part. And this is where I'm like, no, this is the cool part. Now I know why I'm doing this stuff. You know, now I'm getting into the nitty gritty of stuff and I understand why. So I'm driven by that, that kind of stuff. You know, so so like I said, I want to continue to to break down this idea of the mindsets, the psychology, the approach to this idea of career reinvention, because without going through every beat in your entire career and all your businesses, you essentially have a career based on career reinvention. And there's a theme. You have an article that I'm going to make sure that we link to that. It's basically asking the question, is it time to reinvent yourself? Oh, and yeah. there's a, there, there's a core theme. There's mm-hmm. a, you literally repeat it over and over and over. And it's a word that I use all the time. You're there. The phrase is then I got comfortable again. Yeah. So it was time to reinvent myself. I want you to talk about how this feeling of comfort factors yeah. in all these various transitions you've made. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, Maybe it's my upbringing that's always you have to, you know, keep going and succeed. And I don't know, most likely it is that coming from my mom and stuff. Um, But um, whenever I get to a point that I literally feel comfortable, like, and and I don't want to make it sound like, oh, this guy has to just suffer. It's not that, but it's like where I feel like um, uh, I'm not learning anymore, right? Uh, and it and it happens in every time, and it's not because of the the it's 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 nobody's fault except my own. I reach whatever I reach, not because I've I've learned enough and I'm a genius. Now it's just it just doesn't excite me anymore, and I've I've reached whatever I I needed to learn in that point. Then I I start saying, okay, at this point, um, this whatever whatever X Y Z I'm doing is no longer the new thing. Everybody's doing it. That means that I'm just like everybody else. Now, the other thing, and this has been a mentality for me forever, right? But now as I get in my 56, 57, later 58, you know, um, you've got to work harder too because you are competing against much younger people with a lot more energy than me, uh, right? That are coming in at a lower cost than me just because I've been in the business for so long, right? So how do you compete with that? So it's also kind of like, mentality of survival, right? If I want to continue working as much as I want to work, I don't know when I'll stop working, right? Uh, I have to continue 
to to learn and 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 stay uncomfortable, right? So even though here I may look like I'm okay talking, to be honest with you, I, I my my normal way of being is not doing this. It's literally that's why I like editing, right? It's just shut off everything on my on my own and stuff. I present a lot, but not because I love it. It's just because it makes me feel a bit uncomfortable and it pushes me, right? Um, so I, you know, with with my last job, it got to the point too that had nothing to do with them. It was me. It was like, well. I'm comfortable. I'm really comfortable. And so I've never been driven by the money, right? We all need money. Don't get me wrong. I'm definitely have to work and pay my mortgage, but I've never been driven by money. And that's, if we go back a little bit, uh, I don't want to divert from your questions, but go back to the accidental entrepreneur thing. Um, I've never been driven by money. I've been driven by passion. So I got to love what I do. And I always know that money comes after because if you portray the passion, people like passion. I love passionate people. I like people that have an opinion and are passionate, right? And and they know what they want. So um, I think if you portray that, you will get the money, but you've got to first love what you're doing. Um, again, you've got to plan that out, right? Because when I was doing accounting at the beginning, I couldn't just quit overnight, right? Because I didn't plan out Everything, unfortunately, it's financial. At the end of the day, to do crazy stuff, you've got to financially, you've got to be kind of semi-secure. Let's just not say totally secure, but semi-secure, right? But I think you can. But in, and then it goes into, I, I do talk about that in the article too, about sacrificing, which um, a lot of people don't want to do. Uh, or or they call maybe not upgrading their iPhone to the 15 is sacrificing, where you know I, I feel, you know, there's there's a lot more sacrificing you can do to get what you want, right? Unless you, the iPhone 15 is what you want, then that's fine, <laughs> go for it. So the next thing that I want to dig into before we continue to move forwards, I actually want to move backwards. And I'm going to put a pin in this idea of making sure that you have a plan because this concept of plan B is something that you talk about quite a bit, both in this article and it's also a common theme that I see everywhere else. But I want to get a little bit bigger picture and I actually want to go backwards. So in the, a lot of the career development materials that I have, specifically in the latest workshop that I recently put together, there are so many different areas that people can focus, but I've narrowed it down to three essential things. What is it that I do? How do I do it? And why do I do it? Right? So what for you has changed 50 different times over the course of your career? But from what I'm learning, both from the research for the show and now that you and I are talking, the how and the why are identical and what you're doing is just interchangeable. So I'm curious, and this is an area where so many people get stuck, is really understanding why do I want to do the things that I do? You've mentioned kind of subliminally two or three times, well, it's probably my upbringing. I actually want to go all the way back to South America, the move to South America. I'm curious what created the person you are today that isn't afraid to take risks, that constantly wants to move forward, that as soon as you're comfortable and like everybody else, nope, now it's time to reinvent myself. What's the first memory that comes to mind that you feel personifies where this started to become your mindset towards life? Wow, that is, wow, you're really going to make me go way back when I was a kid. Um, uh, that is a really good question. Zach, actually, that's a really good question. Um, I think I would have to attribute probably both my parents. One of them is uh, my mom always pushed me. Um, you know, you you. Uh, I just got a raise. Oh, but why didn't you get more than that? You know, 
then uh, so it's always been that kind of and that is both good and bad right i was gonna I mean, say that can be a superpower and no, a kryptonite very yeah, easily it's it's kind of like the whiplash thing right not that my mom was whiplash <laughs> but you know kind of like sometimes you treat it like that and it's horrible but at the same time that person wouldn't be without that kind of treatment right which is horrible anyway but so i i don't want to say that about my mom my mom is great but so that's part of it i think the fact that um maybe i, I always have to keep upping myself or whatever. Maybe, maybe that's part of it. Uh, the other thing is, you know, I just to tell you, my dad left at 48, came to America, uh, left everything, brought us all here uh, with 50 bucks in his pocket. He was 48. Um, you know, Where that from to me specifically is, in South America? Argentina. Argentina. Mm-hmm. We were living in Argentina. Yeah. And his dream was always to come to the U.S. Always, you know, the, the American dream, right? Uh, and uh, he did it and he did it at 48. And I'll be honest with you, would I have the guts to do that? Because, you know, I jump jobs and create companies, whatever. But I don't know, because he left the wife and the kids for a year to come over here and then brought us, right? I don't know if I could do that knowing, because I have two kids too, you know, they're in their 20s, but I have two kids. That takes a lot of guts. Number one, to leave the family. Number two, to be confident enough that the family will come. And then number three, to go to a country where you don't speak the language and you're going there with like 50 bucks, you know, I mean, he had his, uh, my grandma, his mom that helped out and you went to Miami actually first and uh, stayed there and then moved to LA. Um, so, I mean, I saw that, I mean, I saw the good and bad of that, right? Cause it obviously it affected the family, but there's also, I always, I'll be honest with you. I always, every 4th of July, I write my dad passed away in 98, 97. And I always write a thing about um, on 4th of July about America because that was his dream. And, you know, I'm glad I'm here. You know, I think the movie did. I always I always thank him, you know, uh, when he was alive and after uh, for coming to America because I think the U.S. gave me so many opportunities that I know we wouldn't have had in Argentina, right? But I think that's part of what kind of like seeing my dad do that, my mom pushing me, I think a combination of that and uh, loving and then just loving technology and loving changes. I also love controlled chaos, to be honest with you. I'm not a good corporate structure guy. I, <laughs> I, I don't like chaos for the sake of chaos. I like to have sort of a, a structure around chaos, but I like chaos. I don't like if there's too much red tape or corporate BS, that's not my my thing, right? I just say I'm not good at that. So I think you combine all those things. I think that's probably, if if I were to say that, maybe where where it comes from. It's interesting because in this idea of like you're you're looking for controlled chaos, but you don't like the structure of the bureaucracy and the red tape. I feel like that's a very different way of saying the exact same thing that I mention about myself all the time that I've learned that is a really big factor in what I would consider a very scattershot resume. And there, are, I would say that you're in the category of your resume is even more scattershot. It makes even less sense than mine. We're in the same conversation. But what I learned is that I love working with people. I am horrible at working for people. And that was the discovery that when it hit me, I'm like, all right, this is going to really dictate the direction of my career because I know how miserable it makes me to be a part of that system, especially when I can see how much improvement the system needs. So I'll collaborate with people all day, every day. As soon as I feel like I'm working for you and I have to deal with the bureaucracy, I'm out because it just makes me miserable. Right, right. And I think where you're hitting there which is what I what I've always done, whether I'm working for somebody or working on my own, 
is having, and I always tell people, have an entrepreneurial mindset. And I think to me, that's really important. Even if you're an employee, be an entrepreneur within your position. Because there are many, like even when I I was working at Service Titan, I went in there as an e-learning developer, became an e-learning manager, then was over docs. But then I switched careers within Service Titan from literally e-learning completely to back to technical, leading a team in content uh, content management systems. It had nothing to do with e-learning, but uh, I thought entrepreneurially there. And when they had a problem, I suggested a solution and they put me in charge of that. And that's how I went from being an e-learning developer to being a, a content uh, uh, architect, right? Architecting content management solutions within ServiceTime, same company, as an employee, this isn't my own thing, right? But the the thing it was, it, it wasn't like, oh, I'm an e-learning man or e-learning person. I'm just going to focus on this. I Nothing else. I saw an opportunity and I got excited. And that's what kicked off my other website that, that, I, that I created. Um, and learned that and then made a proposal all on my own time, right? It wasn't like, oh, can I do it while I'm working at service? And I did it outside and brought it in. Um, so I always tell people, think as like an entrepreneur, whether you are an entrepreneur or you're working for somebody, it doesn't matter because then you'll be recognizing, you'll be, you'll make your own path. I mean, I've made my own position. In most companies that I work for, I've made my own position, basically. But bec- I made it by providing value, not by because, you know, what personality. <laughs> mm-hmm. It was providing value, right? It was like, I'll sh- this is why I think we should do it. Let me show you. Uh, and then it's proven basically, right? Yeah. And this this just hits into a point that I say ad nauseum on my coaching program almost every single day. I literally said it to a student this morning during a session. And I say it unapologetically. Nobody cares about your hopes and dreams. They have problems, they're seeking solutions. And if you're there to provide value and solve somebody's problems and make their lives easier, you will find your way. And it might be a little bit different and circuitous than you thought it was originally, but this really helps me understand and explain to others, well, what do you mean by the entrepreneur mindset? It's that I'm going to chart my own path, but I'm seeking problems for which I can become the solution rather than promote me, pay attention to me. I'm awesome. Right? Nobody cares. Yeah. I never asked for a raise because I have an extra bill. Oh, you know, I just bought a car and I really need the raise. Because that doesn't work because he does, he or she doesn't care because they have the same issue. Right. But I have asked for raises when I said I provided this much value. I brought this on. Yeah, if you, can, that, if you can do the math and say, listen, I've created this amount of revenue or this amount, whatever it might be, it's really hard to argue with that because then you can say, all right, well, then I don't need to do that anymore. Exactly. Well, not only that, but also if you stay ahead, and that's another argument for always staying ahead of everybody else, right? Or as long as you love it, is that I've always stayed ahead of the curve. In fact, my my previous company name was Ahead of the Curve Media. But that's because I always stay ahead of the curve because um, I like that. I, I just enjoy that's so being an early adopter, right? But by staying ahead of the curve, uh, th- now you know a lot of stuff and people don't understand whatever you're working on until they need to understand. And now you're that person, right? So if they don't want to give you a raise, there are plenty of other options in many other places. So, And I never play that game like, look, I'm going to go over there. I try where I want to first. If it doesn't work, I go to the next one and just move on. And that's it. There's no like, 
oh, no, they're paying me. Do you want to pay me? No, we don't play that game. It's like, I'm providing value. You're either going to take advantage of it and appreciate it. And in return, I'll give you as much value as I can. Or you go somewhere else where... That's why I don't like complaining about jobs. Don't complain about it. Just look for the alternative. Just go somewhere else. Yeah. And that that seems simple enough, but there's a whole lot of fear underneath that. There's doubt. There's can I afford it? Like there's so many other things that go into it, which I think is the perfect segue to digging deeper into this concept of having a plan B, but I'm still going to put a pin in this. I want to get to it next, but there's one other question that is so fascinating to me in your specific situation. Given your background, given that uh, your father decided we're going to move from another country, like having kind of the the quintessential immigrant story, building the American dream in America, what you always hear tied with that is we want you to be safe and secure and comfortable. So you almost always hear the American dream story with get a good, secure job. And I'm curious about this paradox between we are the quintessential American dream immigrant story and do whatever you want and go after your dreams versus find something that's secure. Yeah, that's a really, really good question because that's my mom. My mom is all about the security, right? Um, my, my dad always said, the sky's the limit. That's what he always told me. You know, the sky's the limit for you, basically, right? And so it's a mixture of both of those things, right? Um, To this day, my mom doesn't understand what I do, you know, and why I move on from one thing to another, which is fine, but she knows that I'm doing okay, you know? Um, So it's just finding that balance. But I think my personality tends to just... Because I've done it so many times that I know I can make it work. Now, there may come a day where I'm like because of age or whatever other thing, you know, who knows what, but it may come to a day where, okay, this formula doesn't work anymore. And I I can't do this anymore. That's it. Uh, But so far I've been making it work. Right. So I've done it um, five, six, seven times already. And I know what the formula is. I I know how to do it, how to make it work. It just takes a lot of work. It takes a, a lot of work. That's what people don't see is right. They see in the article, they see those those points where, oh, look, he switched. I'm, I'm, that, I, I can't do that. It must be so easy. But there was a lot of in-between of failures. There was a lot of in-between work, staying up really late. For example, I'm going out this Saturday for a 48, uh, 48-hour film festival from from seven, eight, uh, 8 in the morning till midnight. We're going to be shooting and I'm, I'm going to be an assistant editor there. And I'm putting in the time for free, right? But... Hopefully one day I'll you'll see my credit in, in one movie and they're gonna go, oh, that was easy. Well, no, it wasn't. It, and I see that in everybody that right, that 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 quote unquote makes it, whatever you call it, making it. Um, I I know I never say, and one thing I that I do hate is when people say is you're lucky. And I'm like, luck had nothing to do with this. And I never tell anybody that's successful, you're lucky. I always try to find out their process. What do they do? Because I know it took a lot of work. I know it takes work. It's just not luck. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from ErgoDriven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the Topo Mat. The Topo Mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found 
bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're gonna invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life, they're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the Topo Mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the Topo Mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. Yeah, well, you and I could easily do an entire podcast conversation about luck because I say this all the time. And my audience will always misquote this. And they'll say, oh, well, Zach says that luck doesn't exist or there's no luck. Like, it's not even remotely true. There are certain, certain circumstances where things just happen and you can be lucky or unlucky, but there's zero of your control involved in that, right? Some things can or can't happen, good or bad. Luck is a thing, but the amount of luck that people ascribe to either their own successes and failures or other people's drives me crazy because what you're doing is you're removing responsibility. It's, yeah. oh, well, well, they got lucky and must be nice for them. I'm not a lucky person. That's an excuse, right? Yeah. But at the same time, so often I will talk to somebody that has reached some level of success. I'm like, well, I got lucky and this happened. And I always interrupt them. I'm like, I'm going to interrupt you because you didn't get lucky. And let's talk about why this wasn't luck. Then we break it down. And by the end of the conversation, they're like, oh, you're right. I wasn't lucky. But it's so easy for us to give away that control and that responsibility, right? So I 100% what, agree. Yep. We're, we're talking about this formula for career reinvention, and I want to walk away with the core steps of this career reinvention. And one of the key pieces that we've alluded to that I want to dig deeper, deeper into is this concept of a plan B, because there are two very, very different ways to look at this. And as soon as I was reading your article and it talked about always have a plan B, the first voice I heard in my head, and I'm going to do a horrible impression, is Arnold Schwarzenegger, because he <laughs> is famous for saying, you can't have a plan B. Right. You got to be all in. You got to you got to yeah. go after this thing and you can't have a safety net. And you're saying the exact opposite. But it's part of your formula every single time. Like you said, I didn't start the next thing until I really felt like I had some solid scaffolding underneath. Then I could leave the previous. So what is your process as part of the formula to make sure you always have a plan B? Yeah. So to me, a plan B means that your your site thing is your plan B. So you always have to have a site thing, or at least I always have to have a site thing. So every every single uh, job position I held, I always got excited about something new that had nothing to do with that job. And I started doing it as a site thing. So 
Um, do I like to go out and be with friends and family and watch Netflix? Yes, I do. But there are times where I do none of that because I want to move on to filmmaking or I want to move on to headless content management systems or podcast, whatever it may be, right? Put it put in there. So to do that, I start with a plan B, a site project. And the site project is most of the time going to be free, and it, but that's why you have to be really passionate about it, right? So you have to be really passionate because the passion is what's going to keep you up late at night doing it. The passion is when it, what's going to keep you going at it. Um, as everybody tells you, you're a dummy. No, that'll never work. Don't do that. A car that has wings and flies. Are you crazy? That'll never happen, right? Uh, I mean, it's a silly example, but really, I mean, it's that. So you have to have, to me, having a plan B is extremely important. Um, your your side project. That's what to me a plan B is a side project, right? So as I'm as I'm working in a company, I start my side thing and I start implementing the formula slowly. Now I don't I don't get it doesn't get in the way of because I'm very about if you hired me I'm gonna give you 100. percent I, I never say 150 percent because I don't know how you can give more than 100. percent I mean I think 100 percent is the max anybody can give on anything, right? Uh, mathematically at least. And um, so uh, I'll give you 100%, but then my time is my time and I decide what I want to do with my time. And usually in my time, because I also love what I do, it feels fun. So I started getting into AI or I started getting into filmmaking or I started getting into programming Python, whatever it was back then, right? So that's my plan B is I start doing that and then start building the audience, start building the community, start start moving it to the point where I can now say, okay, I think I'm at a place where I can now say goodbye to this and move on to this. As soon as I move on to this, guess what happens? I start my plan B for that. Maybe it's not plan B. Maybe it's a second plan, whatever you want to call it. You know, I mean, like, I, like, like you said with Arnold, I'm all in on, on the thing, but, but he was very focused. Also, he wanted to be, you know, uh, an actor, right? A world famous actor. So for me, I keep switching. So so I'm curious, uh, not only did it answer my question, it brought up about 78 other questions. I don't know how I'm going to get this done in the next 45 minutes, because um, as soon as I looked at just the kind of the basic breakdown of today's conversation, like I mentioned in the beginning, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to talk about AI. Oh, we're not going to even get to AI in 90 minutes. And now I think it's going to take me four hours to get there because I've got so <laughs> many questions. I'm fascinated by this. Um, but talking about this idea of a plan B, I think is really, really important. And I want to look a little bit uh, more nuanced at this because one of the most common objections that I get from students that are in my program that come to me, they say, I really want to make a career transition or I want to reinvent myself, but I can't, I can't afford it. And there's this myopic thinking that it's binary. Either I'm this thing or I'm this thing. One very specific example I'm an unscripted editor and now I'm moving to scripted editor and they don't realize there's this giant spectrum of time where you're going to be both. I mean, yeah. the, when I finally decided that I, for, with using your nomenclature, um, when I started the fitness and post podcast, first of all, that never had any plans of being monetized or turning into, it wasn't even a plan B. It was yeah. just an obsession that I had. It was, I have this message that I want to get out into the world. I love talking about it. I'm still passionate about it to this day. It's funny because I look back to 2014 and my fear was, God, I'm 
I'm going to run out of things to talk about pretty soon. Nine years later, I've barely gotten started, so that hasn't been a problem. But there was a point where I realized I can turn this into something. I can monetize it. I can use it to provide value to others. Mm -hmm. And it can become my primary career where now, like literally, Cobra Kai is my side hustle. To the point where I said to the showrunners and creators, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, In the meeting to come back to season five, I said, "Um, we can talk about all the details, but the most important thing is you understand that Cobra Kai is my side hustle. And they laughed. And I said, no, I'm very serious. I have now made the transition where what I do with my coaching program and my students and the writing and the podcasting, that's what I do. But God, I love this show. And God, I love working with you. As long as I can have enough enough autonomy that I can treat this as my quote unquote side hustle, even if my side hustle is 50 hours a week, I want you to understand that's my mindset. And they're like, whatever it takes. We just want to work with you for the next season. But it took me years of editing and podcasting and editing and creating a course and editing in this. So everybody thinks that it's just, I flipped a switch or other people that do this flip a switch, mm-hmm. but there's this long spectrum where you have these multiple identities, which takes a tremendous amount of energy and attention. So I'm yeah. curious when you're constantly in the middle of, I've got plan A, I've got my job, but I've got plan B. And my guess is there's already something else simmering underneath being a podcaster on AI, learning AI and being an editor. There's probably something that you're at least picking away at that we're going to talk about in three years. But how do you just maintain the focus and the energy to constantly do all these things? A lot of drugs. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wait a second. We'll cut that out. No, go ahead. No, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I don't know. I I mean, the energy part is it's hard sometimes. Um, I do tend to always sleep little, you know, and I always it's funny because I always say that um, I I hate sleeping and I wish we didn't have to sleep because then we can get more stuff done. Um, So it's kind of like that thing. But I think and that's why I go back to because what you said about yourself is it's just awesome. Right. And maybe it's not a plan B. Maybe it's just it's my passion. It's something that I find passionate about, and it does become a plan B kind of thing, right? Um, but I think energy-wise, is it's passion. It's the same thing as like, um, well, I'm not getting paid to be a filmmaker right now, but I'm just super passionate about it. I'll do it right now for free, right? Um, so I think the passion thing is the most important part of everything because that's the only thing that'll keep you up, that'll make you drink coffee when you're falling asleep, so you can stay up and continue editing or continue doing your podcast about fitness, continue doing whatever. I think at the end of the day, um, if you're passionate, you'll be doing something and you won't even notice it's lunchtime or dinner time already. And I think that's the key, honestly. And it's, you just have to find what, what that passion. I always told my kids, because I never, I never had any expectations of them being anything besides whatever they wanted to be. I just told them, just please be, love what you do. Just love what you do. Be passionate about it. The money will come later, you know. Uh, so to me, that's like passion is is the main thing to get the energy going or to keep yeah. it going. It sounds like you and I, uh, despite the geography, largely lived in the same household. Because if there were one mantra over and over, it's I don't care what you do, but you have to love it. Otherwise, it will just eat you up inside and it will destroy yeah. you. And that's one of the things that really guides like the, the rudder for me, sometimes consciously, sometimes subconsciously is 
I'm just, I, I don't enjoy doing this thing anymore. It, it doesn't, it's not getting me out of bed and I'm not obsessively thinking about it. And what I have found is that the, the trick for me, and it's definitely not sacrificing sleep. That's an area where I cannot sacrifice sleep for the sake of work. I've made that mistake more than once, but the maximum amount of hours I can get myself into a flow state like you said, the time just disappears. Like I've been working on this blog post for how long or how long yeah. have I been doing the slide deck for this next workshop? That to me says that I'm doing something right versus God, how many more hours do I have to exactly. work on this thing? And like we've the all time been just that. stopped. We've all been there, right? So to me, that's a huge indicator. And it's for, first of all, a huge indicator that you're onto something right, but it also alleviates some of the burden of how am I going to find the energy to do all of this? Because if you're in a flow state and you're loving it and you're excited about the problems you're solving, the time just kind of disappears and it's not effortless, but sometimes it feels like it's effortless, right? Yep. Um, so, if, so if we're breaking down uh, kind of this formula for career reinvention, this mindset of that I'm going to go after something that I enjoy, that I'm passionate about, that's a big component. This idea that, I, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to become an early adopter and I'm going to dive into something new that's scary and I'm going to be ahead of the curve. Another one is this idea that I, I want to have a plan B, not necessarily as a safety net if I fail, but just something that I can always kind of balance the scales. The next piece that I think is so vitally important and is so relevant right now with what's going on with this massive transformation in technology and specifically AI is learning how to learn. We were never actually taught how to learn. We were given yeah. information. We were taught how to regurgitate that information and maybe retain it. We've never mm -hmm. actually learned how to learn. So if I were to come at you and I were to say, AI is so overwhelming. I don't even know where to start. I don't know how to learn it. I don't know how to approach it. I'm scared I'm going to learn the wrong things. You just said, I'm going to figure this out. So mm -hmm. how did you just decide I'm going to figure out AI? Uh, so before I answer that question, if you are okay with me uh, adding one more thing that I feel is extremely important. Of course. And that I, I feel that not a lot of people are willing to do um, is you're going to have to sacrifice. I think that to me, because all of the, everything you mentioned that is important, I think before we talk about the learning, which is also important, wanting to learn, is willing to sacrifice. You know, um, to me, it's, it's, you know, whenever I hear people, um, I don't have the money for education. Well, you have internet, so you have YouTube. And there's tons of good education there in whatever you want to learn, right? Um, and don't get me wrong, I know we, we all, but when I started, I, I was pretty broke. Married with my wife, we were pretty broke, right? Uh, but we worked, went to school full time, and then I spent the rest of the time learning more. That's what I did instead of going out or buying this or buying that, right? So I think it's really important when you put, when, when you want to do something, you, you need to come to the realization that you will have to sacrifice. You're going to have to sacrifice something. Let's say you love to have Starbucks coffees every day or every week. You're going to have to cut those off so you can put that money towards education, let's say. Or you like to go out every Friday night with your friends that's great, but maybe you will only be able to do that once a month and three times a month on Fridays, you're going to have to attend meetups, go to a conference, attend. So I think it's really important that you put in your mind because m many people are, are willing to, to say, oh yeah, I'll learn this and that. But when it comes down to it, they'll pick the new iPhone, they'll pick that new shoe, they'll pick going out with friends. But that's, you're going to have to choose, pick and choose what's more important for you that you want. Do you want this new career? It's going to require a lot of attention, a lot of learning, a lot of networking, conferences. 
you know, reading meetups, all those things that are going to cut into your other stuff. So I did want to mention that because I think it's extremely important to realize that as much as we want to have everything in life, we just can't. You, you pick and choose, right? And you, and if you choose the other, that's fine too, because that means that's what's more important for you. So it's not a judgment thing here. If you want the iPhone, you want the Starbucks, go for it. That's what you want. That's fine. But I don't want to then hear, oh, but I can't have been, you know, the this editor of scripted because now I'm taking spending time going out and partying all the time. You know what I mean? I just wanted yeah. to bring that up. No, I, I think that's a really important point to hit. And as somebody that comes from a place that would be the opposite of privilege, literally coming from another country, you know, like you said, being dirt oh, yeah. poor, I think it's it would be very easy for somebody to look at it from the opposite end and say, well, but you don't get it. I, I just, I have to pay the bills. I'm barely making it to survive. I don't have the time to build a side hustle or learn things on YouTube and I just have to pay the bills. How do you respond to that? Uh, I was the same way. I mean, I'm still the same way. I still have to pay bills, right? I mean, we still have, you know, our kids. And we were single income with my wife. My wife uh, stayed home when their kids were young. So it was it was me single income. And um, it's it's called saving, planning, sacrificing. Those are things you've got to do and you got to figure out. And, and I, I mean, I, I say this as a joke. Sacrificing doesn't mean like, uh, I won't get the 14. I'll wait till the 15, the iPhone 15. You really have to really put down in, in, in a piece of paper, do pros and cons and go like, okay, this is what's stopping me, but what what can I cross out here? Well, watching Netflix every night, going out partying every Friday, having a, going out for dinner every, every week or, or every day, right? Some people have lunch out every day. What happens if I cross this out in a year? What happens? Do, do I get more of the pros? Right, that gets me there, but it takes a lot of really um, introspection and really being honest with yourself. Right, saying, "Well, I could make it happen if I stop Facebooking so much or Instagramming that much and spend that time watching YouTube videos on how to be a scripted, right, uh, a scripted editor, or if I if I don't go out every Friday and I, I I do the meetups and the conferences and hang out with the people that are doing that, right, or do free projects unscripted." Uh, and and see if I can get work out of that. So um, to me, when people tell me it can't be done, see, I think that's the other thing is you got to remove that can't out of out of and replace it with the honest truth, which is I won't. Very different. It can't. Some sometimes it means yeah. Sometimes sometimes things happen, right? You can't. But really analyze it. Is it an account or is it an I won't? Because if it's an I won't, you can change that and make it and, and do it. But, um, you know, and I think, you know, when when we didn't have the money either with me and my wife, I still bought a book. I Back then you have to buy books. You couldn't get on YouTube. But I bought a book. I'll, I'll link to the audience so they know what a book is. We'll put a Wikipedia <laughs> picture of a real book. I love book. books still. You can see it. I mean, <laughs> me I love, too. I, pr I prefer books. I have stacks of them. I'm the same way. I just prefer books. Yeah. But um, I bought a book on HTML and I literally stayed up till two, three in the morning learning HTML. And I did a free website to show people that I could do this. And then one thing led to another. Um, so really a lot of the times when people say I can't, uh, if they really mean they, they won't do it because they mm -hmm. don't want to sacrifice. So it's all tied together. Right. Yeah. Um, and I so want to double down on this and uh, just kind of reemphasize something that you mentioned, 
which is that you have to be honest about the language that you're using with yourself. And I have to do this with myself all the time. I'm not Me immune too. to it. I'm not better than anybody else. But one of, the, one, one of the, the phrases that I catch myself using and I always stop my students as well is that, oh, well, I don't have the time, right? Or I can't find the time. No, what that really means is I'm choosing not to prioritize the time. There are, there ding, are ding, certain ding. constraints, like you said, where, yes, there are circumstances yeah. where you probably literally don't have the time, but exactly. the amount of things that are in the you literally don't have versus you choose not to use it or prioritize it, vast chasm of difference, right? And I but, find but myself, it, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, a, a quick example on that. I, I don't have the time because I work full time. Do you take an hour lunch? Use that hour lunch, eat your sandwich while you're studying. Use the, eat the sandwich while you're editing. You, you know, what, what you're coding, whatever you want to do that you're not doing at work, take that one hour and do it while, you, while you're doing that, right? Instead of actually going out for lunch. And I'm sorry, yeah, you're going to sacrifice going out with your buddies at work. I get it because I like doing that too. But you want to switch. So, so I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Zach. But no, no, I, I, just I, I think you put a concrete no. example, right? Where I don't have time because I work full time. Well, you do have time. You just have to figure out when is your free time at work and use it for whatever for that. Yeah, exactly. And I find myself doing this all the time, even recently, especially with everything that's been going on in the news, in the industry, spending more time than I would like on social media. And at the end of the day, I'll think, oh, I didn't have time to exercise. <laughs> nope, that's bullshit. Because my screen time <laughs> yeah, says that exactly. I was on Facebook for an hour and 15 minutes. You know what I can accomplish in an hour of exercising with the amount of knowledge and information and experience that I have with exercising? I can do a lot in 60 minutes. So it's not, yeah. oh, I didn't have the time today. It's I chose not to prioritize it and I exactly. chose distractions instead. And again, it's not judgment, but we have to no. be honest about the language that yeah. we're using with ourselves. And you know what? There are times where you're going to go, and I do this because I uninstalled Instagram because I found myself after a watch. I just did that last week. I'm like, yeah. delete, I'm done. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, this is horrible, right? But there are times when I go, I'm going to get on Facebook right now and I'm just going to browse. But I mm -hmm. choose to do that. And then I don't feel bad about it because I chose to either waste time or most of the time I'm on Facebook and Facebook groups and that's not wasting time because mm -hmm. it's all about filmmaking anyway. But but if you choose to quote unquote waste time, you know, being facetious, it's it's your, your enjoyment time, mm -hmm. then that's fine. You can be, it's, it's okay. It's when you say, oh man, I wish I had time as you're scrolling Facebook and doing something else. Well, you do have time. You have there. I even mentioned in my article, hey, do you go to the bathroom and you're in the bathroom there looking at Facebook? Well, look at YouTube, you know, with with whatever tutorial or stuff. I'm a huge yeah. YouTube fan, as you can tell. Just don't, if you leave me a comment on my YouTube channel, just don't tell me that you did it while you were in the, was in the bathroom. Because I, I don't need to know that, right? <laughs> um, so the, what I want to dig into next is something that we touched on a little bit before, but I want to get even deeper into this, is that with the, the core part of this formula is the willingness to continuously learn. And if yeah. there are all these excuses, oh, I don't have the time or I don't have the money or whatever, we, we found ways to overcome some of those barriers, knowing some of them are real, a lot of them really aren't, right? And I want to give uh, the audience two uh, different resources, a little bit of shameless self-promotion, but it'll be a good addition to this conversation 
two podcasts, one of which is with the author of Atomic Habits, James Clear, talking about the math of compounding little daily actions. Like you said, if you read for an hour during lunch for a year, imagine how much further you can be. So I'm going to put a link to that episode. And then also you mentioned this idea of if you're choosing it, it's not really a distraction, right? So I right. also want to link to an, uh, a podcast episode I did with a productivity expert. His name is Nir Eyal, specifically because he has a quote that to this day still rings in my head. It's only a distraction if you know what it's distracting you from. So right. if you've consciously chosen, I'm going to scroll Facebook for 15 minutes, it's not a distraction. If it's, God, I should really be working on my resume right now, but I'm afraid to put my resume together. So I'm going to scroll Facebook. Now it's a distraction. So I'm, I'm going to leave those resources, but I want to dig deeper into your approach to continuously learning. And specifically this, uh, this latest phase, you're at the cutting edge of artificial intelligence. Right now we're at the very top of the hype cycle of the Gartner hype cycle. This is where all the hype is, but you were already into it before we were at the top of the hype cycle. So I would love to know what was your approach in deciding here's how I'm going to learn it. Here's what I'm going to get into because so many people are frozen in place. They have no idea what to do about how to learn artificial intelligence. Right. Um, so I got into it when ChatGPT came out. Um, was it December? It feels like 20 years ago. About, about a year ago. Yeah. A year ago, right? Yeah. About a year ago. And I'm always looking out for what's the next big thing. Cause you know, like, as we mentioned at the beginning, I love that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and I saw that and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I went through the computer, the PC revolution. I went through the internet revolution. I went through the mobile revolution. I'm going to go through the AI revolution. It's probably the last, unless something in another 20, 30 years happens. You've got 56 more years. You've got yeah, more you're right. revolutions. I do. I do. I'm going to be 120 talking to you like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, so how do I, how do I do that? It's, I mean, honestly, the internet, the internet is it, man. I mean, YouTube, Google, you start, literally start with a simple, it's funny because sometimes people go like, how do you find this? And you know, that website, let me Google it for you, you know, where uh -huh. you can send a link to it. Yep. But it's truly that you start with a simple, the question you have, how do I learn AI? Put that in Google, just put that in Google and start following links, just follow them, follow them. And then all of a sudden you, you now uh, know a little bit about uh, language models. So now you start searching language models and then you learn something else. Uh, and then you see, oh, AI is being used for face replacement. So then you type search face replacement AI filmmaking. Now you're there and it's, I mean, it's the World Wide Web, right? Why is it known like that? It's this web that you follow. But I think, but I think the key there is you have to be curious. You have to, you have to be curious and you have to want to learn. So if you don't care to learn, then you're not going to follow all that, right? I mean, it's, I, I wish it was a lot more complicated than what I just said, but literally it starts with a simple Google, put your question that you have on Google and go from there. Um, and honestly, today with ChatGPT, you can literally ask the question on ChatGPT and it'll start giving you real amazing answers. But I think at the end of the day, when you synthesize it down, it's you have to be curious. I tend to get bored every two to three years on whatever I'm working on. So for me, it's natural to start looking at stuff. Uh, and honestly, I always, I love to learn. I think continuous learning, lifelong learner, 
Uh, I've never been good in in school originally when I was in high school and stuff. Now I'm back. I think you know I'm back at in school. I'm at UCLA Extension doing the filming. I'm loving school right now as a 56 year old. I feel like Rodney Dangerfield back. You know, back to school. <laughs> but um, no. But I think you need to love to learn, and you have to be curious and start with questions. And then when you get an answer, ask more questions. And, I, and when people give you an answer, even when people ask why, I mean, you know, the, you know, the five whys, keep asking why until you really understand it. You know, um, I'm a person also that I like to get deep into the stuff. So like I said, with the Avid class example, right? It, yeah, you can edit and do this, but why am I doing this? Because then, then I have a better understanding of why I'm doing it. And then I can do things on my own, right? That, that that understanding the why and the how helps me be independent. That's the other thing. I think education, learning, not education as in formal education, learning in general um, gives you freedom. I think it provides freedom, right? Because then then you get to to set your own path because of that. Because now you, you have more knowledge to know where to go or where not to go. I have spent almost 10 years now raving about how much I love my topo mat. And I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core 360. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, and uh, you, I thoroughly agree with all of that. There's so much research and science that proves that one of the core tenets of both the blue zones all over the world, but those that live longer lives is the fact that they're continuously learning. Because yeah. if you don't learn, your brain literally atrophies and dies and that can shorten your lifespan. So the more curious you are, the more you want to learn, literally the longer you're probably going to live. And I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper into something that you said that's such a common excuse for people is I don't know where to start. I literally had artificial intelligence teach me about artificial yeah, intelligence because exactly. I thought to myself, yeah, b before we would do a Google search and even before the Internet, you would have to find somebody. But you knew somebody probably had the answers. Now we have yeah. this ubiquitous access to all this information, which yeah. I would argue is largely becoming the problem and not the solution because there's so much of it. And frankly, a lot of it's bad. But I thought who better to teach me about artificial intelligence 
than artificial intelligence. So I literally yeah. sat down for an afternoon and asked a bunch of questions of ChatGPT, explain to me the basics of how you work and how you think. Talk to me like I'm a freshman in high school, right? Like I gave it all these directives to really help me understand how does this work and how do you think? You know, some of it was a little bit of gibberish. I'm like, yeah, I probably need to back that up by reading other sources. But yeah. in a couple of hours, I'm like, I get it now, which then gave me a sense of where do I go next? Exactly. So. I think that there's the, the deeper underlying fear here, and I think that there's two of them because I hear this from a lot of people, is number one, there's so much information that I'm afraid I'm going to waste time learning the wrong things. But then the second one, and this is the much deeper one, is what if I fail? So I'm curious. Good for we, you. We can if approach, you fail, good for you. And I'm glad you said that. But if we, if we were tried. to look at Exactly. If we were to look at your entire career trajectory and we look at all the, you I built this company, <laughs> you did this thing you acquired, right? You don't put the failures on your website, no, or, uh, website or LinkedIn. <laughs> I want to talk about what are those failures along the way so that you, you learn those mistakes and now you can learn and you can iterate faster now that you're learning AI. Yeah. Um, I mean, first of all, uh, you're going to fail. Guaranteed. We all fail. But I think that's, that says that um, you've tried. You, you went for it, which is I automatically, if you don't do it, um, then you failed, right? Uh, what was it? What was the, the line from, was it Wayne Gretz, Gretzky that said- Oh, you um, miss 100% of the shots, of the shots that you, shots don't you never take. take. Yeah, exactly. I'm a huge believer of that. You know, I have no problem with failing. I've done many websites in small companies that went nowhere and- well, it is what it is. And I'll be honest with you, with my filmmaking, I don't know where it's going to go. I think it's going to be okay, but maybe not. But, you know, all I know is I'm going to look back and either go like, I did it and I made it or I did it and I didn't make it. Now move on to the next thing. You know, you have to have that kind of mentality. You really do. Because we all fail. Look at the most, whoever the most successful person is that you admire, guarantee that if you look into their lives, he or she failed. Probably many, many, more many than times. everybody else too, right? Yeah, I always tell people that I succeed because I, I fail faster than you do. And they, right? and, and they, they tried many more times, right? Mm -hmm. So the key is, and that's why, that's why being in corporate for me doesn't work because I'm a person that I like to talk less and do more. So to me, I prefer to do it quickly, fail quickly and move on to the next thing than to say it has to be perfect. Oh my God, we, we can't do it until it's perfect. By that time, it's already old. So you, of course, you're going to fail because it's a, we moved on to the next thing, right? Um, so I, I think you have to have a mentality of not being afraid to fail. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to have people that, that tell you how, how horrible it was that you failed. You're going to have people put you down. We all do in our lives. I mean, present, past, future, it's its the way it is. So you've got to kind of build up a tolerance. And, and don't get me wrong, there are many times now that I'm doing filmmaking when I submit for something and I get rejected. I'm like, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. Forget it. Uh, and I allow, this is the other thing that I allow myself um, on failure, which is really hard sometimes. We all get depressed. It's a reality of life. And there are times when I'm down because I'm like, I think I made the wrong move here. And I allow myself, I literally say, it's okay for me to be like this one or two days. If it goes beyond that, then you have to seek help. But if it's like one or two days, I allow myself to literally watch Netflix, you know, do whatever I want to do that has nothing to do with what I was doing because I'm down. 
And that's also something that you're going to go through. All of us go through. It's a normal thing. If it goes beyond a couple of days, then obviously we need to seek help. That's obvious, right? Um, I, I mean, I'm not a doctor or anything or a psychologist, but but you know, but that's something that don't be afraid to fail. And if you do and you're down, go, go through the emotions. It's okay. It, you'll get over it. And then try again. Then get up and try again. You know, that's that to me is a mentality you need to have. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's a lot of work. It takes a lot of practice. Of all the career reinvention stories, what's the biggest failure that comes to mind? The time I said I, I didn't try it is something that I wanted to try. So it's funny because you didn't bring up, oh, this time I launched and my website crashed, or I well, didn't make I did, any money oh, on this. Or, no, no. I mean, that's stuff that happens, right? I mean, I, I did a website that I really, uh, one time I got into, it was called Indie Comics Tracker. I was really into indie comics. And I actually, I learned how to, how to uh, write a comic book and I wrote a comic book and published it and then created a website around uh, tracking uh, comic books on the indie side. And I put in money, I put in time as a, it was a side project. Uh, and it went nowhere. It was a beautiful side. People liked it, but I couldn't make money with it. There's just no way to make... That's the other thing. That's the other thing um, that I think it's really important. Uh, go for it, but also know when to get out. Don't keep throwing bad, uh, good money after bad money. Don't. So I always give myself, like for my filmmaking, about a year to a year and a half, I'm giving myself from when I decided and made the big move, right? That it has to work. If it doesn't work... Then you got to move on to the next thing because then all you're doing is you're just, you know, banging your head against a wall constantly. So, um, and it, for me, it's a year and a half. For you, it could be ten years. Whatever you set mm -hmm. your limit, but know when to get out. No, know when to get out. Be realistic too, because there are times when things don't work, and be realistic and go, okay, I'll move on to the next thing. Right. And I, I love all of that. Once again, I want to put to kind of a, a link to another resource for people that I think is really important for them to understand that it is okay to quit as long as you understand the criteria, like you said, to not put good money after bad. I had an extensive conversation about this with a world champion poker player that knows when to hold them and knows when to fold them. Yeah. So we're going to put a link to my Annie Duke episode and this conversation is becoming like a massive table of contents. I know these are really good episodes and interviews. I love I your memory, though, how you can pull that out of, because I know you didn't script this. So it's amazing how you have that kind of memory. I wish I had that, man. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get you there. Um, but uh, what I'm curious about now, what I want to get into a little bit deeper uh, while I still have you, because again, I barely scratched the surface and I have a feeling that we've got another four or five hours, but I know you've got a car to pick up. So we got to make sure you can go pick yeah. up your car later. But having said that, if we go really much more to the present, the near present, the near future, you've decided I'm going to make it in the filmmaking industry. It sounds like yeah. editing and it sounds like editing scripted entertainment. So there's a part of me that wonders if you actually have an advantage rather than a disadvantage because you're coming at this fresh right at the period of time when AI is really starting to not necessarily take over yet. But I'm wondering how much you've learned about these are the tools that are just going to completely replace all the people in the industry or they're not. And you're also learning about storytelling. You're learning about technology. So you have a really unique and interesting perspective to see everything freshly, whereas I've been doing the same thing in this industry for well over 20 years. What's your perspective on where the storytelling aspect of the industry, specifically as an editor, is going now that you're learning all these tools much more than the average person might be right now? Well, first of all, nobody knows what the future is going to bring, right? We can all kind of assume. And um, I personally do not believe, uh, because I'm an optimist, I do not believe that AI is going to take over the world, kill us, and no more jobs for everybody. Uh, 
To me, AI is a tool, just the way a plugin is a tool that automates certain things. Um, the way certain plugins generate content, right? You have plugins that generate content um, without using AI. Now you have AI doing that. Um, putting aside all the political stuff of AI and stuff, I, which I completely agree with, people need to get paid and people need to get permission to, to train the AI. So let's put that aside because I'm 100% behind that, right? If you're going to use my content, ask me permission. And if I allow you, pay me for it. Out of the way, now it's my choice. Go, go at it, you know, kind of thing. So putting that away, I personally don't think that, at, at least on the editing side, because it's so emotionally driven, and it, there's so many human emotions that you. It's it's kind of like a, you know, with Premiere, you can transcribe very easily, and then you you edit using text, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, who you can't you can edit using text. You can cut a text, and it'll move the clip over for you. But you're not seeing the emotion, the facial emotion of the person as they're speaking or they're crying. And maybe in this scene, it's better than in that scene. So I don't think AI is going to take over that. I think where AI is going, going to help us a lot is in the automation of stuff. It's going to help us automate a lot. And then I think you're going to have, this happens with every technology. So you can take out AI and put in whatever new technology in the future or older technology in the past. It'll jobs will be lost, jobs will be morphed, and new jobs will appear. It happened with every technology and it will continue to happen. So what I recommend is um, be curious and learn. Don't be afraid. Don't do this about AI because look, it's here to stay. And obviously the strikes are over. There was agreement. It's here to stay. So go learn it, right? Um, But then I think what's going to happen is in certain, look at your tasks, are you very comfortable <laughs> with your tasks? That means AI could probably do them if you're very comfortable. Does it does it not require a lot of technical knowledge and special your human touch? Um, maybe AI could do it. Um, but then learn because I think what's going to happen is a lot of these, you know, easier tasks, let's say, are going to uh, could be automated. But you, I think it's going to turn people into puppet masters. So you're going to be controlling the AI and and pushing the levers to get it to where you want to go, right? Now, uh, as as to generative AI, let's assume we already fixed the issue of payment and permission. Let's put that aside and now it's there and we're all happy. To me, that may be a new form of creativity. Just the way the camera, quote unquote, destroyed art and everybody in the art um, industry just said that the the photo camera is ungodly and will kill everything. It'll destroy, you know, art as we know it today. Well, we know it didn't and it became its own art form, right? And then the camera morphed into cinematography, right? Um, Who knows that Gen I and creating art by using text prompts is not a new art form. I I did a presentation about is Gen AI the next or a, a new camera, not the next camera, but a new camera. Mm-hmm. It may become a new a new form of art firm, right? Uh, which we're all arguing, no, no, but this was, this was the same argument in 1830s, I think 1837 around there when photography camera came out, right? About the photography camera. So um, I think that what's important is don't hide, don't put your head, you know, in the sand and go, it doesn't exist because it exists. So become the puppet master of it learn where your position is going to is going to change potentially be if you know your position you know what is very easy and what is not uh do research 
Do re you're an assistant? Do research on you know everything you do as an assistant. What what can AI do today for assistants? Well, it may create a, a first assembly. Perhaps it's still pretty bad. Um, is it going to automate a lot of the 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 repetitive tasks that an assistant does? Possibly. But then, how can you as an assist, assistant learn that and control that and teach others? And you become now the expert. Right. Um, it was the same thing when people went from a moviola and said, no, 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 no. The NLE doesn't exist. Cover myself. Well, you either lost a job or you morphed into this new position. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated at just a core human level about why we are incapable of learning from history. And I don't mean this just with AI and technology. I mean, with everything going on in the world, you step yeah. back for a second. You're like, how is it that we don't see that this is the same cycle that happens over and over and over yeah. and we never learn. And it drives me crazy when everybody says that AI is unprecedented. No, it's not. It's just the next technology coming along like anything else. Is it more advanced than anything we've seen? Sure. Right. Is it moving faster because of Moore's law than any technology we've seen? Sure. But the way that we have this fear of artificial intelligence, probably very similar to the fear that people had of the photo camera. That was magic yeah. back then, right? Like, couldn't yeah. even comprehend what it was capable of. Then all of a sudden, there's a telephone and I can make noise from my mouth from here and somebody could hear it somewhere else, not in the mm -hmm. same room. Like, that's, that's witchcraft, right? We see AI the same way, but everybody thinks it's unprecedented. No, it's not. But if you think it's going to go away, if you think we're going to legislate it or block it in a sense that, oh, well, it's going to be forbidden, it's never happening. So I've said over and over and over, I've said it on panels, I've said it on podcasts, I'm just going to put a punctuation on this again for everybody. AI is not going to replace you. People using AI are going to replace you. Does not matter what the craft or the job is. But I also want to put out something out there because AI and technology in general has always touched and affected uh, non-creatives. Always. AI has done stuff for non-creatives um, and non-creatives were affected. And I think we're seeing this, this reaction too now because it's kind of affecting creatives, what creatives mm -hmm. do, right? And that that's scary. But if you think about it, a big pop portion of the population that is not in the creative uh, industry, um, we're always affected by technology, automation, things have always changed. So maybe what, what you want to do is talk to people that are in other industries that were affected by technology. How do they deal with it? How do they move forward with it? Because I don't feel that um, the creative uh, industry has a special thing where we could lock it and say, no, technology won't touch us. Because look, if we move forward, we move forward. And if it affects mm -hmm. them, it's not just, oh, oh, you guys are okay, but not me. Yeah, um, I, I've been saying multiple times over and over, there's nothing unprecedented about this, but now it's our turn. It's like, yeah, oh my yeah, God, exactly. I can't believe this is happening. Well, talk to auto workers on the factory line 50 years ago. Where you have robots. This is nothing new. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's those that learn how to fix the robots and manage the technology, exactly. right? There's the ones that are able to morph and adapt and survive. And the same thing's going to happen to us, but there's nothing unprecedented about any of this, but now it's come for the creatives, just like you said. And we just, we have to be honest about, we need to proactively take the steps to move on to, you know, learning and adapting. And, and then once you learn, you'll realize that it's not as bad as you think it is. Again, going back to if, if you, you have to figure out why are you afraid of AI? Are you afraid of AI because of the permissions and compensation? I'm totally with you. And that has to be fixed. So we The political side out. of things that terrifies me. So there are a lot of things to be scared of. I agree, but we're setting those aside. 
Exactly. Um, but but if you're afraid of AI, just because it's a technology that is coming after what you know, think about all the other people that had that happen to before that weren't in creative industry. Um, how did learn from them? How do they deal with it? You know, but I, I think uh, once you learn AI and the tools, you'll understand the limitations, the challenges. Chat GPT cannot write a script for you. Yes, it could write a script, but it's a pretty bad script. Okay, but you can use it as a companion. You can use it as a consultant where you ask questions. I, I did a whole presentation on where I wrote my script, but then I asked ChatGPT to do a breakdown and give me uh, its thoughts on the script. Did I pay attention to everything that it said? No, kind of like if I give you the script, Zach, and you go, well, I would do this, this, and this. I'll look at it and go like, well, yeah, I'll take this, but I won't take this, right? But that doesn't mean I'm going to take exactly what you give me and copy and paste it and put it out there. Um, I think you have to look at it like that. Think of AI as a tool. I think part of the problem too is is sort of the the media hype that's happening, and and people talk about the AI like it's like it's a person or I don't know. It's not the AI. It's an LLM that does predictions. I mean, it's just code out there. It's it's not going to take over the world. Now we're going to look back five years at this podcast from now. And we're going to go, man, was he wrong? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to delete this from the entire <laughs> library if Skynet doesn't do it for us, right? Exactly. So yeah, as, as you know, because you were in the, the audience and the, when I did the panel live for Edit Fest, I prefaced the entire thing by saying, I don't know shit about any of this. Any prediction or thought I have could be completely irrelevant because well, it's nobody moving does, so right? fast. But it's those that call themselves experts that do pontificate. Those are the ones I don't listen to. Yeah, it's those yeah, that say, yeah. I don't know where it's going. Here are my thoughts. This is what could happen. Yeah, we all have our own ideas. But anybody that claims to know where it's going or they're an expert, even the experts, the ones that literally design the technology are now coming out and saying, I don't know what's going to happen next. Yeah. Right. So right. really, nobody knows. But the, the the most important thing that I say, and it doesn't matter what we're looking at, focus on the things you can control, ignore the ones you can't. We can focus on learning it and understanding how it works. And we're just going to see where it goes. All the rest of it, I don't have the time to deal with it. I can't control it. Not even going to be something I focus on or spend any time or energy towards. Right. So, And could there be negative stuff? Yes. Every technology brings, I mean, I could see you know, face replacement, right? I mean, we're talking all of a sudden, I, you could say something that you never said. I could say something that I never said and get in trouble. I get that. I mean, I totally get that. But I think that's more about regulation and and putting in place safety guards, kind of like we did with every technology, mm -hmm. right? And and saying, is this is this a real video or is this a fake video? You know, Adobe is trying to do that. Yeah, with with their uh, AI generated content, right? That you know it was AI generated. Uh, it's going to take some time. What's interesting is nobody argues about photography anymore, but at the beginning they did. And I think we're going through that phase. What, my point with that is that we're going through that phase where, you know, you're you're getting into the uh, AI and people are learning about it. They're becoming afraid. We're not at the point where pretty much AI is just a normal part from a creative point of view. AI mm -hmm. has been a normal part forever, right? With Google Maps and everything. But from a creative point of view, it's not a normal part, right? I'm sure there was that argument with NLEs at the beginning, right? I know with digital, there was that argument, yeah, right? Yeah, film nobody, to digital, that was huge. That was huge. and But nobody who, who argues about that anymore. So I, I can guarantee you that in two years from now, I don't think there's going to be any of these arguments. Hopefully, if they figured out the copyright issues, the payment, compensation, all that. 
Yeah, and assuming we survive the 2024 election, but that's a conversation we're not getting we'll into at all. Different thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll <laughs> totally leave it different for show. Other. Yeah. So here's where here's where I want to leave it. I know that we're wrapping up here, and I could go on for hours. I'm loving this conversation, this was fun. This but was I fun. I very much want to switch directions for a second. And given that you have become kind of a professional career reinventor, how do you define success for your filmmaking career? For what you're going after next, what do you see as being the version of comfortable where I've made it? Oh, um, so for me, success is I'm doing what I love to do and I can make a living with it. I'm not talking about making a living like I'm super rich. Um, I just, I can make a living. I, I can continue the lifestyle that I have, but I'm doing what I wanted to do, basically. And that what does that mean as an editor and filmmaker? Because this has been the childhood dream. You spent years and years going from one endeavor to the next, but there's more at stake with this one. So how do you define success? Well, uh, I, I mean, honestly, if if a year from now um, I'm able to make a living and I'm editing scripted and and I my I think what I'd love to do is like indie and mm -hmm. uh, social awareness kind of uh, uh, movies and documentaries. Mm -hmm. I like that kind of stuff. Uh, if I'm able to do that and get paid for it and and be able to maintain my lifestyle, uh, to me that is success. Uh, well, I'd like to get an Oscar. Hell, that would be extra success. Sure, why not? Mm -hmm. um, but I think at the end of the day is um, cr creating... For me, if I'm able to create content that is meaningful, meaningful to me, mm -hmm. right? And then hopefully there's an audience for that. But it's meaningful to me, whether it's me creating it or working with other filmmakers and editing that, um, to me, that's going to be success. That's it. That's plain mm -hmm. and simple. If there's no, it's not an X amount of uh, dollars that I need sure. or uh, nothing to do with that. Yeah. I, I love I, that you have a clear definition of what that success is. It's not driven by money. It's not driven by extrinsic factors. It's driven by intrinsic ones. But I'm going to throw one final wrench into the conversation before we wrap it up. What if it takes you longer than a year and a half? You've got a very arbitrary deadline where you say every one and a half to two years I switch. This is a really tough industry to break into, especially given the timing. What if you're not there in a year and a half? So um, it depends what you mean by breaking into the industry. I'm not sure I need to be in the studio system. I'm not. Um, so I think honestly, I I don't think it's it's extremely tough. I could be completely wrong, and people are going to want to prove me wrong now by not hiring me. I would love um, to have seen the reaction to that if we were doing this live on stage. But continue. Well, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but so I'll give you an example. Um, I, I got to a point because I'm I'm learning a lot, but I'm like, God, but I'm not doing this stuff, and I won't get hired because I don't have my portfolio. So what I did is I posted out there in multiple Facebooks that I'm willing to do. Uh, short edit, short film edits for free right now up until I feel I have enough experience. And so I'm not trying to downgrade the value of editors. It's got mm -hmm. nothing to do with that. I have I don't have anything in my portfolio. I want to do some stuff for free. I got a barrage of of and some really good ones. Oh, that, yeah. Well, but I got some really good ones. What I mean is I got some people that and I don't want to put out the name yet, but um that I'm doing some some uh some some quote unquote voluntary kind of things that I'm pretty sure could lead to potential more uh, paid, right? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think you just have to be... Uh, I, one of the things is I, I'm very technical. So I, this is, this is the, the thing that I think I can offer over your stereotypical filmmaker, which is not very technical. Mm -hmm. I think rightly so, more focused on the, on the, on the storytelling than mm -hmm. the technical side. So that to me is an advantage on my end. 
Um, I, I, I deliver and I'm ethical. I, I, um, uh, um, what do you call it? Uh, deadline driven. So I think by providing all these things and building that reputation, I think I can make it work. Um, but what happens in a year and a half? Well, at that time I'll reassess. Maybe I want to give, maybe I'm so close that I'll give it more time. So to me, it's, it's not really arbitrary. It's more in a year and a half, I either have to be there or be pretty close to it. So if I'm 25% from reaching the goal, it's not working. But if I'm 80% from reaching the goal a year and a half, well, then we'll go to two years, you know, or whatever it takes to get there. So it's not like a hard line and it's like either you made it or you didn't. It's like, how close am I? I have to be realistic too, right? Because I don't want to drain my savings. I do want to have a nice retirement. I want to do other things, right? Um, so it's more reassessing. But if you don't put a deadline or a goal or, or deadline to, I want to reach it by then, then you'll go on forever and you'll never reach it and you'll never know when to get out. Mm-hmm. So that's why I put those kinds of deadlines for me. Well, given your past history of career reinvention, I'd be stupid to bet against you. But well, I, I do know for that. a fact, because I've been in the industry for over 20 years and I've coached uh, people through many, many career transitions, a year and a half is ambitious. But if I'm going to not bet against anybody, it's going to be you. Well, um, and that. and I have a feeling that you and I are going to have many, many um, off the record conversations to come. Because uh, if you're looking for the support and guidance to navigate this, that's what I do now. Yes, so I would be more than happy to help you navigate all of this. this. Yeah. So I, well, I, I prefer, I, I don't like the term expert because I'm always learning and growing, but I appreciate it. I've developed a level of expertise in helping people navigate this far from being an expert. Um, but yeah, if I'm, if I'm going to bet on anybody that's going to make it happen and make it happen in this timeline, it's probably going to be you. Um, and I love so, that you said that. If I can just add that you're not an expert. I always tell people, you don't have to be an expert. Just be two chapters ahead of them. That's it. Yep. That's Just always two what chapters I say. ahead. That's it. Yeah. And when you're reaching out to people and building your network and building relationships, that doesn't need to be the best in the world. It's something, it's somebody that just solved the problem that you're trying to solve now. They just did it in the last year or two. Those well, are your the, experts. And the other thing, the only, and it's so simple, but it, I'm, I'm surprised by how many people are not nice. Be nice, mm-hmm. be nice. And also be a person of your word. If you say, I'm going to deliver at this time, like I've literally before, and, and I know we're going to cut it, but before I took on some of these projects, I told them, let's have a meeting because I want to tell you the truth about me. This is where I am today. This is what you're getting with me. Do you want me to do this project? But even though it's volunteer or it's not paid, it's important to them. It's an important project to them. And I want to make it important. And I feel like I'm getting paid because I'm getting paid with knowledge and experience and feedback. So I tell them, look, this is who I am. This is what you're getting from me. Are you cool with that? But in return, I want to use it in my portfolio and I want your feedback. I want you to be honest with me about what I can improve on. Um, so I, and, 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 and in all that, be nice. And I think if you're nice, you can make it in any industry. I think you can make it an industry. I think being nice is really underrated. Uh, I don't know of any other way to, to conclude this conversation than with that, other than navigating another four hours of talking about career reinvention and the psychology of setting goals, all of which I could do. Um, but I want to be respectful of your time. And, you know, who knows? This may end up being a part two either on my show or, dare I say, on your show. Yes, you will be. Um, on but my having show said for that, sure. at least for now, this might be the hardest. You, you're the hardest person I've ever ha- have to ask this question to. Where do I send people to learn more about you? Because you've got 27 different websites. So, what's the best place for people to go to right now? CreativeSpark.ai. CreativeSpark.ai. So 
Yeah, yep. not.com. Yeah. Yep. And the, the one thing that I'll say to, to close very, very quickly that I wanted to get into and we didn't have the time to is that I think another core part of this is really putting yourself out there. And I've been really impressed at how just how bold and how honest you are in these Facebook groups saying, here's what I'm learning next. Who knows this thing? Or here's me having this conversation on my podcast. Anybody that's in this industry and social media, they know exactly where you are in your journey. And to me, that's brilliant because you're not afraid to just say, this is where I am. I'm learning. I don't know this. I don't know that. I don't know the other thing. Who does? Who can I help? Who can help me? Like the way that you're doing this is, is very, very smart. And it's clear you've done this before. I like being transparent. So on thank that you. note, I just want to thank you. Yeah, I want to thank you for sharing all this with me today. We're going to make sure that everybody can find you and all the, the show notes. Uh, but this has been a pleasure and I've learned a lot. So thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it, Zach. Thank you. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even going to send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.